Well, I want to just go real existential, real fast, and ask the big question, why are we here? Why are you here? I like, I like big picture questions um, because it's important to sometimes think about what it is that we're actually doing. Because if, if you grew up in the South or if you grew up in church, it's very easy to just think, well, we go to church because we go to church. This is what you do. And uh, this is what God expects of you. And we show up on Sunday mornings. But I want to get uh, deeper than, than that with this issue of why are we actually here? I mean, what are we, what are we doing here? I don't know if you've ever even actually gotten to ask that kind of a question uh, of yourself before. And so I want to, I think Paul's going to help clarify or give understanding to that when he says, uh, going back to 1 Corinthians 10, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Here's what he's trying to get at is you are a worshiper, period. It's who you are. In fact, every person, every human is made in God's image. Therefore, every person is a worshiper because God is a worshiper. Now, my guess is you don't often think of God in these terms, but it's so important for defining our lives and even understanding who we are and what we're about because we can't have those, we can't have definition for our own lives until we understand who God is because we're made in his image. The very crafting of our lives is around who God is. God is and eternally has been a worshiper. He has existed one God, but three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They've eternally existed. There's no, there was no beginning for Father, Son, and Spirit, and they have fully enjoyed each other for all eternity. They have radical excitement and delight in each other. In fact, there's a, there's a treatise that didn't get published. It's actually called an unpublished essay on the Trinity. And it's talking, this is by Jonathan Edwards, great theologian and church reformer. And, uh, and as he's talking in, in this essay about the person of God, he starts to, to describe that when God thinks of himself, because when you and I think of ourselves, we, we'll, we kind of have an idea of what it looks like. We look at a mirror, we walk away. In fact, the scripture talks about we'll walk away, kind of forget. We have a decent idea of what we look like, but we don't have a perfect picture. And what he says in this essay is that when God looks at himself, he has, it's, a perfect, it's a perfect reflection of who he is. And that perfect reflection, therefore, and it gets so deep. I, I, in fact, I'm not even sure why I'm talking about it. It's really deep. But he, but he actually says this, that that thought of himself, that perfection that is the second person of the Trinity, the Son, and the delight that they have with each other is the Holy Spirit. They have delighted themselves. Now, I went really deep with you, all right? We're gonna come back up. We'll breathe in just a minute, but just right now, let it sit on you, all right? It's powerful to think about the delight that God has had in himself and that God did not create us because he was deficient in some way or lonely in some way, that God somehow needed us in order to uh, be able to be fulfilled, that he had to have worshipers in order to be fulfilled. That's not the reason God designed us. Church, we're worshipers because God's a worshiper. His, word, he, his delight in himself 
is why we find delight in him. That all that God has done eternally before creation was done for his glory and the most good and powerful and life-giving and rich thing he could do was to create creatures who get to get swallowed up in that glory to make people in his own image who get a chance to taste that. That's the goodness of God, that you and I get to get wrapped up in his glory, to experience it, to treasure that which is so fantastic, so beyond us, so far more vast than any delight you have ever experienced or could even possibly imagine that we literally cannot contain it. This is who God is. God's power, his goodness, they're so other than, they're so far outside of us that the scripture actually says, if we were to actually see it with unveiled face, we would die. That's what he says to Moses. If I actually showed you my glory, that which you came from, you'd be knocked down dead. I mean, in fact, Indiana Jones kind of got it right, right? Like, if, if you saw God, your face melts off. <laughs> this is it. I love that. I just thank, thank God for that. I don't, know. I don't know why I'm talking about that. But if we were to see the full measure of the glory and goodness of God, we, could, we would not stand. In fact, I actually think heaven, or I believe the evidence from scripture is that heaven is the constant unfolding and unveiling of the glory of God. Just wave after wave where we're undone with who he is. It's what we're meant to have certainly forever, but it's what we're, meant, what we're being invited into in the, in the here and now. This thing is more than a cute religion where we come together and make sure we have a potluck every once in a while or do some s'mores and we get on down the road in life. This is about the totality of our lives, why we're here, what we're made for, the very purpose, the reason that you and I take lung, or air into our lungs. This is it. It is the glory of God. We were made for God's glory. And we were made to pursue his glory. That's our pursuit with all of our hearts. That's the reason that we exist. So when Paul says this sentence, he's trying to get at the core of existence because he's trying to bring it down to the mundane. Because he says, whether you eat or drink, and he was having a conversation in fact, we, if, if you, you can go back to his, uh, our message on the issues with eating and drinking. He got to address all those things, but here's what he wanted to say. Whether you eat, or whether you drink, or here's, here's what he says, or whatever you do, you were made to taste the glory of God. Everything, everything. And that reality brings us really good and really bad news all at the same time, okay? Really good and really bad news. You guys want the good news or the bad news first? Bad, of course you want the bad news first. Everybody, we're gonna end on the good news, all right? Otherwise, it'd be a bad church. Okay, here's the, here's the bad news. Sin has come in 
and corrupted our hunger for glory. The bad news is that this God-given desire that we have for glory, for something big, for magnanimous, sins come in and it's tried to tell us that you can experience and have that glory with things that are created. This is how Jesus says it, or this is how the Holy Spirit says it in Romans chapter one. This is uh, Romans chapter one, we'll start at verse 21. For although they knew God, or you might just substitute, although we knew, we knew God, we did not honor him or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were hardened. This is speaking of what happened in creation. Claiming to be wise, we became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So I'm kind of sweating. I'm not just going to roll up my sleeve. This is so weird. <laughs> just, we keep talking about being authentic. Here it is. I'm a sweater. I'm just doing it. I don't even care that the podcast is messed up. Okay. I don't even know that... Rolling my sleeves up is going to help me not sweat. I'm just, I'm just doing it. <laughs> so it's so important when you read a heavy text like first or for Romans chapter one that you joke about your perspiration. Okay, <laughs> here's what he's saying. I always wanted to be a Pentecostal preacher that had the hanky and wiped the, you know what I'm talking about? The guys on TV. All right. Sorry. <laughs> Let me recap what Paul was saying to the church in, in Rome. He said, instead of treasuring the glory and the goodness of God and finding our worth and finding our purpose and finding our delight in all that he is, we exchanged that, all of his goodness for a lie, and rather than worship and give our hearts and the hunger of our souls to the king of the universe, we just found stuff and gave our hearts away to it. And so what we do is we find things made and we find things created. Many of those things are even good things. They're not even necessarily bad things. But we look to try to find that hunger, that glory, desire fulfilled in those things. And so we'll do this with relationships and spouses and kids. And we treasure careers and money and hobbies and food and drink and sex and position and power. And we'll find all these things, many of which can be very, very good things, but we're looking at them to bring glory and so we let these created things sit in this preeminent place in our hearts 
and none of them, hear this, none of them can measure up to the longing we have for glory. They won't cut it. As much as you want that spouse to be that for you, they can't bear it. As much as you want your kids to do that for you, they can't do it. As much as you want your next meal or drink to do that for you, it won't sustain it. As much as you want your career to do that for you, it won't happen. Listen, nothing in all of created order can bear the weight of your desire for glory. Nothing. There'll never be enough followers. There'll never be enough successes in business. All those things, as good as they might be, they cannot bear the weight of the hunger that we have. And so what we find ourselves often is going from thing to thing in order to try to have that hunger in us satiated. And it just can never bear it. Nothing in all creation. We just, you know, as, as I just mentioned, we, we came back from the beach, got to have a little uh, family time away for fall break and we were at the beach. It was great. We were there for several days. And, and you, if you, some, of you, some of you are beach people. Some of you are mountains people. It's great. Uh, our family tends to do more of the beach and we're there and it, you feel that you go there and you see the vastness of the ocean and you play, you see the sand and all the things and you feel that and you actually get to see the stars, right? You to look out and see all, and it's all amazing. But I just have to be honest with you. After six, seven days of just looking at the beach, at some point in time, you're just like, that's good. It's time to go home. And we're just glad to be home. And all of a sudden, this great, amazing, glorious creation, at some point in time, your heart just goes, okay, it's good. It's why... Uh, it's great to vacation at those places, but not live there, right? Because you find yourself, I mean, hey, guys, we, we moved from West Texas, all right, which is just the desert, basically. <laughs> Four years ago, we moved here to Middle Tennessee, and I, we're just like, couldn't believe, our, my, my eye, it hurt my eyes, what I was looking at. I was like, hey, what am I looking at? These hills, and there's green things. It's, everything's brown where I'm from. It's all green here. It's unbelievable. I can't even believe it. And I, I remember saying, man, I just hope, I'm a hope and pray that I just never take this place for granted, right? Because it's just so beautiful. And, and I just have to be, we've been here four years and I think it's incredibly beautiful here, but I've had many days where I haven't even thought about it. You know why? Because creation's creation just doesn't cut it. And it never will. There is one being in all of creation that will full, totally and fully delight you with everything and never, ever diminish one bit. It is the Son of God, the God-man. That's it. And every pursuit that we have in our lives that is not attached to experiencing his glory, it'll fall flat. We'll end up disappointed. And we've seen it, this story over and over. Every movie you've ever watched is some promise of some perfect great ending or some person that would, you finally got together with that will fulfill all the things. 
And for any of you that have been married for more than about four seconds, you figure out. (laughs) Right? Or honestly, any of the relationships, you just find that no one can bear the weight. I'm so deeply, deeply grateful for my wife and my children. But as I, and I've said this many times and it's kind of feels super offensive, but I'll just be honest with you. Children make horrible gods. They're bad. (laughs) Bad, they're bad at it. We can put all our hopes into our kids being all these amazing, our lives revolving around them. God, I'm telling you, we're not only setting yourself up for deep disappointment, you're setting them up for deep disappointment. Truly, hear this. Deep disappointment. Don't let your kids think that they're the end all be all. There's one thing that satisfies. So what's the good news? Here's the the good news. That when you seek for all the glory to be found in Jesus, when you seek for Jesus, then all of those things, all of those things come alive. All of those things have new meaning and new purpose. All of it, the career stuff, the spouse stuff, the kids stuff, the hobby stuff, the vacation stuff, all of the cool created things, they all find deeper meaning when they're not the object of hope, he is. He actually gives powerful definition to all of those things so that all of those things uh, uh, get, we get to experience God's design and delight in all of those things rather than us trying to find our hope in those things. And that's what that means. So when you seek the glory of Jesus, he's our most supreme treasure. He's the one we're going after. And by the way, not just Jesus as a means to an end, because let's be honest, there's a little bit of church that goes kind of like, hey, if you can follow Jesus, then he'll fix all the things and things will get better and you'll have the favor with your boss and you'll get the better marriage and you get the better kids. That's Jesus as the means to the end of some version of having all the things lined up in your life. That, let me tell you, Jesus isn't the means to the end. Jesus is the means and the end. He's the end. He's the point. And so when we seek him as our end, he is the treasure. He is the glory. He is the desire. When he sits in that place in our hearts as the absolute object of our affection, our desire, as the glory, when he sits in that place, then listen, church, all the other things get brand new purpose. The way that, that Jesus actually says it is, if you'll seek first my kingdom, then all of the things that you're worried about, I'll take care of those things for you. But let me be your constant pursuit. Let me, every idol will crack under the weight of our need. Every idol will crack under the weight of our need. Your, your need, it is epic. My need is epic. It's so far beyond. No one can satisfy it except for Jesus. And that's what Paul means to say. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, even in the mundane things of life, whatever you do, do it 
to and for the glory of God. Doesn't matter what it is. As worshipers, this is the answer to the cry of our heart. Make Jesus your treasure. He's the primary aim. He's the aim in all the things, in your eating and in your drinking is what Paul's saying here. In your marriage, in your parenting, in your career, with your money, Jesus is my treasure. He fulfills the longing of my heart. Therefore, here is how we live unto him. Here is how we do marriage. Here is how we eat. Here is how we drink. It's what Paul says. If you go a little further down in Romans chapter 12, it says, Paul says it this way to the Roman Christians. He says, listen, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, that when Jesus is the treasure, we start to align our mind and our heart and our thoughts, our bodies even, with what he says is good and true becomes our sacrifice. And it's what we do when we, it's what we do when we look at the world. The world will say, if you trust Jesus as your treasure, you're a fool. And the sacrifice of worship is to say, no, I'm giving him my everything. And it may cost me something in this life, but I'm giving him my all. And the good news with Jesus is that all the things in your life now become brand new opportunities for glory. That's the good news. Each and every day becomes a new opportunity for glory. It's powerful. Uh, I'll forever uh, love the sentiment from Dr. John Piper. He says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. I want you to hear this. Let me just say it again. God is most glorified when you're most satisfied in him, when your delight and happiness and joy and all that you hunger for is found in Jesus, that's when God gets most glory. If you're going, I don't know how to, how do I, how do, I do this sacrifice, sacrificial worship? This is the answer. We find our joy in Jesus, him alone. Worship is what we do when our hearts are satisfied with God. And church, that's why we're here. Worship is what we do when our hearts are satisfied in God. And that's why we're here. So I want to be clear. Worship isn't just a thing that we attend. It's the hunger that we possess for the presence of God, even in the mundane. I want the presence of God in the mundane, in the eating and the drinking. I want the presence of God. This is what we want. And that the good news is we can have this wherever we go. Guys, all of a sudden, all of the things of life start to get brand new meaning, right? Wherever we go, 
whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, or as our jobs as worship, or our hobbies as worship, our vacations as worship, our homes as worship, our singing as worship, our gathering as worship, all of it has an opportunity to be expressions of worship. We don't have to say no to spouses and kids and jobs and careers and dollars and all the things. What we do is we get to bring those things into alignment, do all of those things to the glory of God, and they blow up with deep and rich meaning. The change, the trajectory of our lives begins to change. That's what we want our lives to be about. God can't be limited to just Sundays, right? Worship can't just be limited to a 14-minute slot of singing songs. It has to be more than that. We sing the songs because something ought to be churning inside of us saying, there's something better than me. Thank God. I went Monday through Saturday. That was rough. I get to come here and sing. There's something greater than me. I got to experience him. Jesus is available Monday morning and Monday afternoon and Monday evening and then Tuesday morning, he's right there. And, and, and Tuesday afternoon, after you blow it really bad, right? That Tuesday afternoon, no, not Tuesday, Wednesday hump day, right? And you've just totally blown it because you're a jerk, right? And it ha I mean, come on, you've had, your, you've had those days. You've had the Wednesday, I can't do this anymore. And you blew it. You blew up at somebody, a coworker, spouse, or kid. And you feel frustrated and frazzled, and you're going, this, this doesn't feel like, this isn't worship. Guess what? Jesus is right there to open up his arms, pull you in, and say, come on, brother. Come on, sister, I receive you. Let's do this again for my glory. He doesn't reject us. He didn't push us away. On those days where we blow it, he pulls us right in and says, let's get fresh vision for life today. Thursday will be better. Let's do this. And we come here on Sundays and we sing because something's churning throughout the week in us saying, this life is about so much more. And so that's the question. Do we savor it? The goodness of God. How do we glory in Christ every day? I'm gonna finish with this. I'm just gonna give you just a couple of real practical things and then we're gonna finish up this morning. Uh, how, so how, how do we glory in Christ in just in the everyday mundane things? Number one, uh, we confess the things that we look to for glory that cannot fulfill. So the most important thing about doing this life is just being honest, honest with God and honest with each other. Honest with God and honest with each other. That's all we wanna do. Be honest with God and honest with each other. You know that's what confession means, right? It's just saying, hey God, what you say is true, is better and right. I just wanna get honest with you about it. I wanna be honest about what you wanna do in my life. And I'm just gonna be honest about the things that I tend to think will make me happy that aren't you. And so it's important for us just to say, okay, Lord, here's where I think I tend to find glory, to experience glory. It's when my business hits this mark, when I get to this place in my career, then I'll, oh, I'll be okay. And I'll be able to do this and that, and I'll be able to give the church this, and I'll be able to do some good things. And when that day comes, everything's gonna be good. Hear me, church. 
just confess and say, I put my glory, I search for glory in my career, God, and I'm sorry, and I repent. Or whatever the thing is. And just be honest with the Lord about it, just for clarity. God will not be shocked with whatever you bring to him. He won't be looking at you going, well, really? Well, that came out of left field. He already knows. Let's just be honest with him. Can we do that? Let's just be honest with the Lord about the things we tend to put our hope in. Because guess what? God has better plans for your job and career than you ever did. He's got better ideas about where he wants to take you and what he wants to do with your life than you could ever put together for yourself. He's good on that. Give him glory and let him give new meaning and purpose to your career or your children or your spouse or whatever the thing is. But let's confess the things that look, that we look to for glory that cannot bear the weight. Number two, we're gonna practice what I call the reality of heaven by just asking God to show us his glory in the mundane. Just we're gonna practice it. So what I mean by that is this. When it's like the 912th time you've taken the kids to school, just ask, say, God, would you just show me your presence in this? I don't wanna do another trip through the pickup line. God, I just need you to show me where you are. Just tell me who you are. If you've got glory in the mundane, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, then I need to seek. Would you just, when just ask him, I, I, I promise you, I'm making a guarantee. He will give you vision and glory if you're willing to ask him in the mundane. I promise he'll show up to you. And then finally, I wanna say this. Pause, number three, we just pause our lives regularly to refocus our hunger on Jesus. That's why we come together on Sundays. Come on, let's just be honest. Sometimes you don't wanna get out of bed on Sunday. Just don't wanna do it. You're not coming to church. If you're coming to church because you think you get bonus points with Jesus, you've missed the point. If you're coming to church because you think, well, the, we're a small church and the pastor will know I'm not there and it just feels so awkward the next Sunday I show up. Any of those kind of weird thoughts, just kill them. We come together as a family because I want to push the pause button every week and say, God, I want my hunger to be centered on you. I just wanna be centered on you. I wanna remember I'm a part of something bigger and grander than this. We get a chance to refocus our hunger. Paul actually talks about this in our reading this morning in chapter 11. The problem was the believers were coming together. They, and honestly, when the believers came together, they got together in big houses. Uh, and, and what they found is that the people who had a lot of food, they were just like eating it up. They were doing the Lord's Supper. They were eating and drinking. They were getting drunk. But there were people who didn't have much who were also coming when they came together as the church. They all didn't have anything. And it was creating all these factions and divisions. The, it was basically the rich folk over here and the poor folk over here. And there was this brokenness and says, and what he said is when you guys come together, it's actually worse and it's not better. And he said, there's a point in us coming together. And that is we get a chance to remember where our true hunger is, is answered. And it's in the body and blood of Jesus. 
we take communion to answer the cry of hunger, to recenter ourselves. I want you guys to uh, grab um, in the chair back in front of you. We're going to have an opportunity to take communion together. You can go ahead and open them up. Don't worry about the awkward noise. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm pretty sure that whatever you're going about to eat is not bread. It's probably styrofoam. I don't know what it is. But the good news is that Jesus counts this, okay? All right. This. Uh, and if you've never done this before, it's like the two-layer thing. You got to crack the thing and try to peel it. It's really hard. You got it? So we already got someone. The younger kids, they can do this. It's the older people who are just like, oh, this is a Rubik's Cube. So we got it? All right, you got yours. I got you, Mike. I got you, bro. All right. The point of the Lord's Supper is actually to be able to center ourselves and say, God, there are ways in which you're not my center. You're not, you're, the, I don't look to you for my nourishment. I look to food or drink or I look to people or I look to stuff to make me happy. And I just don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live a life where I do Jesus on the side and then I get through life. Man, I'm going to tell you something. If you've been doing that, listen, Jesus has so much more for you. If Jesus has been kind of a side thing for you, there is way, way more for you. So much better, so much richer, so much more life-giving, so much more powerful. If you've been duped into believing that Jesus is a good side thing on Sundays, there's more for you. The point of taking communion together is to say, I remember that you're my nourishment. You're where I get fulfilled. You're where I get taken care of your body and blood for me. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you on the night that the, the, the Lord on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we get to remember and proclaim and those two things get to go together because the more we proclaim, the more we remember and the more we remember, we have a hunger to proclaim what God has done. So I'm gonna, I've asked our team just to sing over you. Uh, we, we Often when we take communion, we do it at the same time, but I'm just gonna give you a moment to pause. You push the pause button and you get this moment to do business with the Lord and say, Lord, here are the ways where I pursue other things and not you. And I want to pursue you. I bring that to you. I want to be honest with you about that. And then I want to remember your body that was broken for me and your blood that was shed for me to make me whole and right. And so uh, we're going to, our worship team is going to worship over us. You take your time, you respond to the Lord. And when you're ready as you've talked to the Lord, you take the bread and you take the cup in your own time. If you need space, feel free to get up and go to the back. Uh, we're gonna be worshiping here. In fact, I'm gonna ask our guys to just bring the lights down so you don't have to worry about other people watching you. You take the time. You guys that are joining us at home, feel free to jump in, whatever you got at home. I'm gonna pray over us now and then we're gonna worship. Father, would you be with us now? 
Would you give us grace right, how, right here and right now to do business with you and to come before you with whole hearts. Make us passionate. Let us find our glory, true worship, adoration in you and you alone. We thank you for all the many blessings, the many gifts that you have granted to us. They're so rich and they're so good, but none of the gifts supplant the giver. And we love the giver, Jesus. We love you. Would you be with us now as we worship and we honor you in the taking of this bread and cup. In your name we pray, amen. Let's worship.